You're listening to the second part of a two-part appearance by Ethan Fleischer, the lead designer for Amonkhet. Thank you for coming on the show, Ethan. Sean, Shivam, and I had a blast. Hey, Ethan, could you uh, please tell us what mechanics you used for this set? Sure. Uh, we, we had, uh, looks like about uh, five mechanics here and some sort of themes that are a little smaller than a keyword mechanic. Uh, embalm is the mechanic that's my favorite. This is the the one where we expressed turning a creature into an undead mummy. It was really important for me that we be able to see the before and after state. You see the living creature. Here's some here's some poor uh, janitor or whatever, and he's he's cleaning up. He's he's getting paid, and he has a, a union, and then. He dies and he gets turned into an undead mummy. I want to see the the living vital janitor and the undead shambling mummy with separate images, right? So <laughs> that would imply double face cards or tokens or a variety of things. And we managed to to get enough budget to get art for all of these tokens so that every embalmed creature, you exile it from your graveyard and you get a zombie version of it as a token. That's a copy of the creature. Uh, and, and the, each zombie version has its own art that looks like the uh, original creature, only wrapped up in bandages. Tell me, did Jeremy Jarvis just give you a look when you came to him with this? He was the most important person that I had to convince. I was like, Sean Main came up with the mechanic. I was like, oh, this is good. I love this. It has three of my favorite things. It has copies of things. It has tokens. And it has zombies. I love it. I thought, ooh, but I really need to convince Jeremy because if he doesn't like it, I, I just could not in good conscience keep trying to make it. So I immediately went to Jeremy and met with him one-on-one, and he liked it. So I was in the clear. It worked out. That's awesome. And I have to say I'm really impressed you guys managed to get white zombies into magic. I thought that was like one of those weird things that – we flavor people would talk about like maybe zombies could be white in some scenario. And I think it's really neat that you were able to find a really white flavored way to bring undead creatures into the game. Yeah. It's like these, these aren't unholy creatures. These are the sanctified dead. The appropriate funerary rites have been performed. And so, and, and there are like orderly members of society. They're still doing, they're still sweeping up the floor even after they've died. So they are essential to the functioning of the society of Amonkhet. So it felt very natural to me that they be white. They seem to anticipate need, so that implies that they're intelligent? Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know all of the... Uh, they seem to understand language, but they never talk. So I mean, the bandage is hard to get around. They all had their wisdom teeth removed, so now they're just like... <laughs> the Sultai have uh, zombies that could effectively work as butlers, but couldn't talk. 
Yeah, they they could hold a fruit bowl. <laughs> <laughs> would you like a banana, sir? I'm sure Sidisi would look at those who serve and be like, that's a good idea. We should grab some of those. Mm-hmm. But I'm really disappointed that there's no card named Dragula anywhere in there with all of these white zombies around. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I have to say, and you should pass this on to Blake, he missed and it turns out uh, with uh, with Nate leaving the show, he really missed a great opportunity for a song parody from us. <laughs> should explain to all our listeners who are younger than us, White Zombie were a metal band in this decade called The 90s, you may have heard of. The 90s. Check it out. Ask your dad. Early 2000s, thank you. Oh, no. Astro Creep was 96, man. Yep. Okay, yeah, fair. <laughs> it was just in, like, every music video of 1998. That's true. So. <laughs> Black Sunshine. Anyway, what about Sunshine. the exert mechanic? Uh, the exert mechanic was, uh, was our mechanic that we used to represent the trials. These were people undergoing the trials. These are young initiates. They want to prove themselves to the gods. They want to get through all five of the trials and have the honor of being personally executed by Hazaret, the red god. <laughs> be, and that assures them a place in Nicol Bolas's glorious afterlife. So the exert mechanic represents these uh, these creatures are, are leaving everything on the road. They are exhausting themselves in the efforts to pass the trials. And this is much more of a mechanically uh, inspired mechanic. Uh, rather than a flavor one. Like, we, we tried to match this flavor, but it exists for the reason of uh, having enough aggressive stuff to help you push through. We've got all these minus one, minus one counters. Wither was in the set for a while. This is a, a old mechanic from Shadowmoor that makes it so creatures deal damage to other creatures in the form of minus one, minus one counters. We ended up cutting that out during development, but uh, the exert mechanic was to help people to be able to play an aggressive deck in what is a very grindy and uh, control-oriented environment. Fitting for Bolas, right? To have super grindy control matches. (laughs) But I don't know. I love Exert as a primarily aggressive player. I think it's a super fun way to, you know, force that choice, whether you attack now or whether you get to use your superpower and then attack next turn. And because... Oftentimes people deride aggressive decks as being just every turn you just tap yourself sideways. But I think this is just an interesting nuance and subtlety. And I hope it plays well enough that you guys choose to bring it back. Because I think exert would be a really fun just mechanic to have a lot of different versions of. Like I think it would be super neat to use exert plus exalted. You know to have your one mega guy go and exert and then all of your other creatures pump him up and... Your super mega alpha strike would get edicted out of the game, and then you would just be like, oh, but I guess that's just me and every aggro deck I play. Sorry. I'm going to be this, sad now. This story sounded so so pleasant and pro- positive at the beginning, then you just got edicted. It was so sad. And then I just got <laughs> edicted. <laughs> Is there a lot of design space in Exert? Um... It's about medium. It, there is definitely some design space. There are only certain types of effects that you want uh, on an exert creature. These are effects that you would want to play before combat damage is dealt. Uh, mm. But that's that's a fairly fairly large number of effects. I, I think it's. I think we could probably bring back exert sometime if it turns out to be successful. Mm. So 
you did mention Wither, though, and I know that negative one, negative ones are one of the big themes for this set. Uh, Wither would have been like a flavor home run, wouldn't it? In a desert set with like desiccated bodies and just like withered away into just kind of mummies and stuff. Why did you take it out? Um, well, we took it out because it wasn't fun enough. Based. That's uh. that's really the the long story. It's absolutely a flavor home run, which is why we put it in. And it was in the set for for a year even. So like it was in there for a long time. We tried to make it work. We tried to make it work. It just was not like it just wasn't fun enough. So we cut it. Hmm. Ouch. Yeah, that's tough. Yep. That's the way it goes. We we kind of changed every other mechanic in the set until Wither was the only original mechanic left, and uh, then we handed it off to development, and they said, mm, everything's working except this Wither thing. Do we really need this? <laughs> it's like, well, see see what you like. Try something else. So, yeah, they cut it. Did you insist on keeping the counters? Uh, yeah. So you were like, we, we need minus one, minus one we counters. We need minus one, minus one counters. This place is a hostile environment. But, uh, yeah, if I was... Uh, if I was doing it all over again, I'm not sure that I would. You know? So the minus one, minus one counters sort of represent the wear and tear that occurs as a person goes through this environment. Fatigue, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's there's a there's a hostile desert outside. There's yeah. ravening zombies. There's curses. There's all sorts of, you know, Hapatra is the, the vizier of venom. There's, there's people who use poison here. So there are lots of ways that you could get weakened or maimed even you see a lot of yeah. uh, embalmed creatures uh, their mummy versions are missing limbs or things like that so there's a lot of ways to get hurt here and the creatures that start with minus one minus one counters but then remove them over time for benefit so those people like getting stronger and overcoming those those natural challenges yeah that's that's where the development team ended up going uh, rather than having you putting minus one minus one counters on your opponent's creatures so much you were kind of exploiting your minions by putting minus one, minus one counters on them. And then there are various ways to subvert that. Yeah, I saw a lot of that in the pre-pre-release that uh, Loading Ready Run did. And I was just wondering, because as a player, you generally, I mean, as a newer player, for instance, you don't really want to put negative one counters on your own creatures, you know, because there's that kind of psychological feel bad of, oh, I'm making my guys worse. Mm -hmm. So did you think that that was a, a problem that, you were uh, you had to overcome to get players to want to i don't know make their creatures worse for benefits later down the line yeah it's definitely more of a mechanical space that's appealing for more experienced johnny players i would say rather than for newer players yeah hmm. cuz i thought it was really interesting to incentivize like oh if you put negative 1 negative 1s on this green creature you can remove the counters to get one mana or do whatever, you know, bonus bit that you get from that. And seeing that was like, oh, I now understand why a lot of these cards have weird stats because you're meant to load them up with counters and strip them of them later. And that was such a interesting revelation that I had as a player. It's been a while since I've had one where I was like, oh, I get this. And it looked really, it made the set a lot more appealing once I figured that one out. Yeah. Cool. You uh, have a new mechanic, Aftermath. It's a, it's a split card variant. And, uh, of course, after releasing that, you uh, had to, Wizards had to change the rules about split cards, much to the chagrin of many a modern player. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the sort of idea that we had was, oh, what if we had another mechanic 
that would make delirium better. Delirium is the mechanic from Shadows Over Innistrad that counts because delirium needs to be better. <laughs> well, it, you know, this was before <laughs> before Shadows Over Innistrad had been released, and we we were like, oh, we could we could you know synergize with with the uh, with the other block here. It would be awesome, and so. We, Gosh, we about, you know who needs help? Emrakul. Yeah, he yeah. needs help. <laughs> Emrakul needs our help. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so, you know, it's like when you have an artifact creature, right? And that's in the graveyard. It counts as two card types. And so artifact creatures are an exciting thing to put in your uh, Delirium deck. But the problem is, how do you get the artifact creature in your graveyard? It has to die. God, that's so much work. What if we had split cards that were an instant and a sorcery on the same card? Then they would count as both types for Delirium. So that kind of led us to the Aftermath mechanic hmm. where we had a new kind of split card where you could cast one half from your hand and the other half you could only cast from your uh, library and then it exiles itself. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, yeah, and then we, we designed a whole new card frame for it because... We didn't want to imply that there was a choice here. It was more about like first this thing, then the other thing. And so we had, uh, you know, the top half is oriented, you know, in the normal fashion of a magic card, albeit vertically compressed. And then the uh, the second half is uh, rotated 90 degrees. So you can kind of have it sticking out the side of your uh, graveyard so you can see what aftermath cards you have available. Speaking of nods to old mechanics, not that delirium's that old but you know i mean uh henry stukenborg asks what was the reason for using the sort of heck benty uh one or fewer cards in hand as opposed to using the existing hellbent mechanic it's just a lot more fun to be able to like bluff a combat trick uh and things like that or or like i have a counter spell things like that um you know, magic has a large bluffing component. It's an important part of especially high-level play. And so yeah. completely eliminating that bluff potential just like strips out a lot of the fun of the game. So we thought that uh, one or fewer cards still allows you to keep keep bluffing things in your hand, and that seems really important. So yesterday you got to do the employee pre-release. When you were playing with the aftermath cards did you see people like uh, were you able to tell that they had them in their hands because they would do the funny turn your head thing to see the second half um i didn't notice that but i'm one of those people that doesn't uh doesn't look at people's faces very much so um it's hard for me to get the soul read so when you did the uh when you were doing the play test with these though i know you guys like to use stickers on your cards to uh you know say like oh this is x card or y card Mm -hmm. so when you were doing the split cards did you lay them out like this where one is vertical and one is horizontal no uh the the aftermath cards um so basically the the card looks like the top half of the card and then in the rules text box area it has all of the information you need about the other half of the card just written out in plain text cool so, returning keywords. Some people be excited about this one. Cycling. Yes. DrewDude88, he put together a Horde of Notions deck, and he's very excited about this, I'm sure. I, I'm excited also. I think that I've been thinking about making a Horde of Notions deck myself, and I think this set may be the one that pushes me to uh, finally 
put it together because that is a pretty exciting deck where you just like cast a play a bunch of evoke creatures and cycle a bunch of things and then eventually you cast uh living death and all of your stuff comes back out of the graveyard so it's pretty <laughs> it's a pretty splashy deck <laughs> rise of the dark realms then you get all their stuff as well mm-hmm. <laughs> what does cycling represent in the world i because I, I can understand wither type things and is it bolus's sort of mental corruption uh, cycling is a pretty flavorless mechanic. It doesn't really have a, a, a strong creative hook, um, but you could say that it represents uh, Bolas's intelligence. He is, you know, he has several attributes, and one of them is he's very smart hmm. and uh, he always has a plan. So, you know, there's if you know that uh, that the card you want is deeper in the deck, then uh, you can move forward toward that plan if uh if the uh thing you have right now is not the tool for the job but on a scale i will arbitrarily define as three to 18 how smart is nicole bolas oh he's 18 he's the smartest person in the multiverse <laughs> he he definitely rolled three sixes on his character <laughs> that is for sure <laughs> With cycling, though, cycling is one of those great mechanics that people have basically always loved. And did you guys ever think about bringing back uh, Astral Slide or uh, any of those other fun, messed up, busted decks of yours? Yeah, we we certainly discussed it. And, um, you know, Astral Slide and Lightning Rift are sort of the two uh, cycling rewards that people generally think of when they think about the cycling deck. And those were totally sweet decks and very exciting. Uh, they're not quite up to modern design standards in that they trigger when your opponent cycles something also, which is not what we like to do. We generally like for your enablers to only work with your things. Uh, but we, we did new versions of those types of cards with the Drake Roost, for instance. That card looks super fun, by the way. Yeah, there's a, a demon that put mi- puts minus one, minus one counters on things when you cycle. So we, we kind of made our own rifts off of uh, off of Astral Side and, and Lightning Rift. Cool. Yeah, but one of the things about cycling, though, is, of course, you're pitching your card. And I noticed that there were a lot of cards templated with if you cycle or discard. So uh, is that why was that template used? And I know that discarding seems to be another like subtle theme in this set. Yeah, it was. They were originally templated during design as uh, just triggering when something is discarded. So that would work work with cycling, but it would also work with a whole bunch of other magic cards, uh, including the madness enablers of uh, Shadows Over Innistrad block. Uh, One of my goals for the set was to try to make it so that the cards would be interactive with lots of different magic cards throughout magic's history. Uh, Late in development, we decided that some playtesters were having trouble realizing that they were supposed to play a bunch of cycling cards with our discard triggers. So uh, actually, after all playtesting had been done, we changed the uh, template on those cards to, to specifically reference cycling to kind of help guide people toward building this deck a little more nice. easily. But the, the cycling is essentially purely decorative. It doesn't have any... Uh, any rules function it's just kind of an additional um additional uh, words for clarity yeah yeah no 
I I am grateful for that because I will always forget in the heat of a game that oh yeah cycling is discarding and drawing and whatever else it does. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's uh it's really helpful for people like me who will just like I know abstractly what it does, but it's nice to look down at the card and be reminded. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. I've got to ask Ethan because it seems like a, a missed easy goal. Why no desert reprint? Yes. We- we obviously had to try it, right? Like we were like, we're going to have deserts. You saw we have some some cards with the uh, land type desert. Uh, of course, we tried desert. The problem with desert was it was too powerful and oppressive at uncommon. Like it was just messing up too many limited games, uh, and then it just was not an ex- a sufficiently exciting card. I thought to be a rare. I would disagree, but. <laughs> <laughs> There's no place in between uh, uncommon and rare, right? That's those those are <laughs> two rarities, and there's nothing in between. So, yeah, and we have well, reprinted it several times, right? It was in it was in Time Spiral. We did a promo version. It was in a From the Vault. So, um, yeah. Ultimately, we just decided that the original Desert uh, just did not have a place in in the Omnicast. Oh yeah, if um, if people are doing themed Commander decks, it's not exactly a pricey pickup, is it? No, it was uh, the most common card in Arabian Nights. It was a C11, if I recall, which means oh, that it wow. appeared on the common sheet 11 times. I, I could be wrong about the exact number, but it was it was definitely up there. So uh, the deserts are, are, are plentiful, relatively <laughs> speaking. And it's remarkably templated like a modern land is anyways, with giving you colorless mana as well as doing something bonkers. And I have fond memories of, of desert and uh, camel, and I was just bummed that you didn't get more of these early flavorful reprints into, I mean, as a fan of early, early, early magic, I wish that there was more like random throwbacks to those days. I know that Pyramids was a really terrible card from Arabian Nights, and I'm sure you guys were a little salty that the most perfect name was used for such a terrible, terrible card. Yeah, it was a little frustrating, but... um yeah, there there weren't too many examples of that where the, the perfect name had already been taken. And Shivam, they would have to find new art for Desert, and as we all know, there is just no way to top Jesper Mirfor's original Desert artwork. I actually just like it a lot. I mean, I like Mirfor's artwork a lot, and uh, it's cool. It's a neat, It was one of my first Arabian Nights cards from back in a zillion years ago. But uh, how come there's no Vengeful Pharaoh, man? That's the other, like, he's even got Bolas horns. Yeah, well, um, it turns out that Bolas is power-hungry and territorial, and there's only one pharaoh on Amenket, and that is the god pharaoh, (laughs) Nicol Bolas. Maybe those are in the uh, Forbidden Sarcophagi. Oh, good point. Yeah, yeah. That'd be so, fun and, in Hour of Devastation. All the old pharaohs are like, you took my job! And then they, come <laughs> and they start fighting. And, <laughs> and they keep he coming He throws back. them into the graveyard. They come back because they're vengeful pharaohs. <laughs> It'd be great. I just realized we can contact like Alex Jones and all those other conspiracy theorist guys and say, <laughs> the pyramids weren't built by aliens. It was a dirty, great big dragon. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. We've oh, cracked it, finally. This is a Commander podcast, so it would be remiss of us not to talk a little bit about our new cycle of gods. Any highlights from uh, designing five new gods, Ethan? 
Uh, it was actually super hard to design five new gods. We didn't have the devotion mechanic anymore, and we didn't want them to be enchantment creatures anymore. So figuring out a, a way to kind of capture the feel of the Theros gods but give them a new twist for Amonkhet was, was a big challenge. We went through lots of different uh, versions of uh, how they could activate themselves. And uh, ultimately, we, we came up with sort of each one has a strategy. And if you are pursuing the strategy, then the god will fight for you. Was there any thought to making them multicolored? Uh, not really. We Magic has these wonderfully flavorful colors that have deep philosophies. And uh, they just feel it feels very natural to have a god that fits squarely into a color. It's just magic. Magic loves that kind of thing. But there was some expectation among players that these would have at least off-color activations so they could serve as commanders for, you know, multiple... I mean, I even gave shards. you a few months headshot to make a Bant God, Bant Cat Lord so that I could put Jedit Odanin and Jedit of Ephrava into a deck together. It's not like I haven't been asking you for like a year or something. I mean, yeah. surely you could have gone backwards and shoved one into the printing press just for me. Yeah, Ethan, <laughs> you, you were warned. And you did have the opportunity late in the cycle to make changes to the cards. So what happened? Poor, poor uh, Shiva. Yeah, sorry. I was. I think I was asleep that day. <laughs> no, it, it's like uh, the gods were aimed more at standard, I think, and a little mm. less at commander. Uh, whereas the other legendary creatures were designed more specifically for commander. So the the multicolor legendary creatures. Hapatra and Temet and Neheb and Samut were uh, were specifically engineered for Commander. Where's my Demir legendary creature? Uh, um, yeah, sorry, it's <laughs> <laughs> hidden. It's hidden. Damn it! That we always get hoisted by yeah, a petard on that one. We we really wanted to have that um, that uh, Simic card that represents the river flooding. The, that thing uh, is super Bounty cool. of the Luxa. And so, yeah, that that edged out a uh, fifth legendary creature just because we really wanted to capture that seasonal flooding thing that Egypt has. (laughs) (laughs) I will say this as uh, one of the big misses of Theros block was a lack of a Minotaur legendary. And I think a lot of us are very, very happy to see Neheb show up in this set because he looks super fun to play and is the right colors to do a Minotaur legendary deck. Yeah, we got a lot of feedback. Like, where's our Minotaur legend? What the hell are you guys thinking? We were like, oh, I thought you were going to use the Black Red God for that. I guess that's not good enough. He doesn't. He doesn't. So clearly we messed up. And this was the first place that had a lot of Minotaurs that we've been to since then, I think. So uh, we were like, all right, let's let's get this in here. So <laughs> they'll find something else to complain about. <laughs> but yeah, no, that that card looks super good. Uh, it looks super fun to play, and uh, definitely is the sort of thing that I want to build a deck around. Do you have your uh, your didgeridoo ready? You know what? I've been holding on to that homeland set for oh, yeah. a long time for something to do. All my Anaba shamans are coming back down. Yeah. I'm just sad that there's no blue off-color uh, you know, activation so that I can bring Labyrinth Minotaur back. But I don't think anybody but me cares. <laughs> so. Oh, man. I wanted to reprint Labyrinth, Minotaur, and Theros so bad. Oh, my God. The creative that team was like, amazing. no, there's no blue Minotaurs here. <laughs> <laughs> there could have been one. I there know. was only one in the legend. He was the Labyrinth Minotaur. That's what he did. 
Shove them at Mythic. It would have been great. Why doesn't Hapatra or uh, Bontu leave poison counters? That's infect, man. Not Bontu. Ronas. Ronas. Yeah, we we just uh, we decide that poison would be uh, you know represented by minus one minus one counters and death touch, but um, yeah, we didn't. You know, poison is a strategy that requires a big footprint on a set. You need a lot of cards that make poison yeah. for it to be something you can actually do. You can't so just slip we, it in on one card. <laughs> yeah, no, this isn't this isn't Homelands where we can just be like, here's leeches, <laughs> <laughs> oh, whatever. Uh, um. Yeah, it's yeah, it requires a, a lot of uh, a lot of investment in the in the And you're saving it for the return sure. to Phyrexia next block, yeah? Yep. Excellent. Yep. Yep, yep. Ethan, do you have any any funny stories or any really uh, tricky stories about the gods or about any of the command uh, legends? Yeah, I got in I got into a bit of uh, of an argument uh, about the legendary creatures. I really wanted to get some characters that felt Egyptian. So I had three real-life people that I wanted to sort of capture in card form. And there was some disagreement among R&D and creative and various people about, you know, how, how much should we do? Should we be trying to put these, these real people on magic cards? Uh, so, I, you know, I wanted to get King Tut, King Tut in common, uh, Cleopatra, and Ramesses the second hmm. and so there was a lot of back and forth about like is this a good idea and I was like look there's just not that much Egyptian stuff we can make cards about I wanted to use everything we possibly can and so yeah we ended up making this uh, legendary creature that becomes a mummy just like uh, King Tutankhamun did and we have uh, Queen Hapatra is our Cleopatra analog uh, you can see her she's she's uh, has these snakes of course, Cleopatra died by snake bite, and that's you know not the coolest story to tell. It would be better if she commanded snakes here. So Hapatra uh, uh, has pet snakes. We ended up cutting the Ramses character because it just wasn't wasn't quite as cool as these other ones uh, in favor of this uh, Minotaur lord. Huh, that's pretty cool. Getting the Minotaur is totally worth losing Ramses. Uh, Y'all have another set to do that in if you really wanted it. <laughs> but... Yeah, no, this is cool. I think the legends you chose were pretty neat. And judging from the way they looked in um, another podcast, uh, commander-based videos, it looks like this is going to be a really fun crop to build around. Sweet. You're talking about the command zone? The, uh, y- yes. Are we allowed you, to mention the yeah, command zone? Of course we are. Because they did a video series called Game Nights, which is gorgeous. Oh, it's fantastic. And the most recent one has uh, f- these four legends built that they built decks around. And it looks phenomenal, and they look so much fun to play. So, uh, good job, Ethan. Thanks. So, I think what we should do, we should actually talk about some other cards in the set. If we each pick our single favorite card, hosts, if we just go over ours quickly, because I guess we all want to know what Ethan's favorite card from the set would be. I'll start. So, my favorite card was actually one of the gods. It was Kefnet the Mindful. I think three mana for a 5-5 flying indestructible creature is a bargain. And in blue, you're always going to find it easy to hit that seven or more cards in hand trigger. especially with, And he lets you draw a card. What's not to like? And bounce a land if you need to get that extra card to get to seven. 
I mean, it looks brutal for three mana. It's just well, In my Demir decks, that says, draw a card, then you may return your Bajuka Bog to your owner's hand. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what yeah. it says. I mean, the so, worst thing you can get off it is a scry. Exactly. Right? Oh, yeah. It's beautiful. This is just busted, man. It looks so I, good. I was surprised <laughs> when people were being sniffy about it and going, well, it's okay. I'm like... Okay, that's a sensationally good card. <laughs> Did you see that it cost three? Yes. <laughs> like, that's a turn one play, man. Do you want to go next, Phil? Sure. I really like As Foretold. I think the implications of this card uh, go well beyond the text as it's written, which seems fairly innocuous, right? And this is at the beginning of your... It's an enchantment. At the beginning of your upkeep, put a time counter on As Foretold. Once each turn, you may pay zero rather than pay the mana cost for a spell you cast with converted mana cost X or less, where X is the number of time counters on as foretold. This is Turns insane. out there's a lot of uh, a lot of turns in a commander game. Wait, does that say once, as in like anybody's turn? Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> That's not right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, it's, no. Um... I didn't realize that either, Shivam. I've just, my sphincter quivered a little bit then. <laughs> Oh god damn. That is that is messed up. Holy yeah, crap. It's shocking. And this is this is the card I was thinking, maybe this one's on the watch list this week. Um, but we'll get to that, I'm sure. You know what fits in perfectly? Joy of the Gitu, because they're time counters. Yes. Oh no. Well they're time <laughs> counters, but also um if you're playing one of the cards that can only be suspended it has a casting cost of zero, and so as foretold, can just instantly kick it off. Damn. And then, and think about this thing in like Mizzix or something like that. You know, it's like, oh, I have more time counters than experience counters, so we can just start doing really bad things to people. This is not <laughs> right, dude. This is not right at and all. It only costs three <laughs> mana again, and it's blue. We're oh my goodness gracious. Uh, Shivam, your favorite card from the set. Well... Uh, anybody who's listened to me knows that every deck I play is a tokens deck, and it turns out that you guys gave me the parallel lives that my soldier's deck oh, has always been I dreaming know. about with Anointed Procession, which is uh, an enchantment that says, if an effect would create one or more tokens, it creates twice that many, which means that literally every time Kajeldran Outpost gets tapped, I get two soldiers and not one, and that is all I could ask for because... This is white. White doesn't get token doubly counters except with, you know, populate. And that's few and far between and always mixed with green. So seeing it in mono white just thrills me to death. Like this is the card that I didn't know I wanted. And now I really, I was going to ask Ethan, which of his fingers he proffered up to marrow to get this one printed. Oh, no, I I don't, I I didn't lose any fingers over (laughs) this one. One of uh, Mark, Mark Rosewater's weak points is tokens. (laughs) So, yes. uh, and doubling he's, just, things. he's, he's blind, uh, to, to any sort of color pie violation having to do with tokens. He just <laughs> loves tokens. Beautiful. Excellent. You've gamed the system, sir. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is this a thing you guys are looking to do? Move a token type of doubling to white from green? Uh, not per se. It's just a matter of embalm was a theme here. We thought, wouldn't it be hilarious if you embalmed a creature and got two tokens instead of oh, one? Oh, God. So, now uh, I want to do that. This is <laughs> so, all I want to do in life yeah. now. 
that that's really all all the uh, incentive that we needed. I would say that this effect is normally going to be in green, but it seems fine in white to me. I will take it. It's been printed in white once. <laughs> it's in white forever from now from henceforth. So, yes. Ethan, yes. An important question. Perfect. As the head designer, mm-hmm. what is your single favorite card from this set? It is super hard to choose, but uh, at least at this moment, my favorite is Liliana, Death's Ooh. Majesty. Oh, uh, yeah. This is a five-mana Planeswalker with five loyalty. Her plus one makes a uh, two-two zombie and mills you for two. Her minus three is um, Rise from the Grave. Uh, oh, I guess it only hits your uh, graveyard. And then the minus seven ultimate is Destroy All Non-Zombie Creatures. Uh and the art is just phenomenal. This is just yes. the best Liliana yeah. art. Well, at least since that. Magic Origins. <laughs> but it's going to be tough to beat. Yeah, that. I was about to say every, and I was like, "What about Magic Origins?" No, we we can't beat Magic Origins. But amazing art, anyway. Uh, yeah, and just I love zombies in Magic, and this was a card that uh, I I designed. Obviously, I didn't design it alone. I worked with other people, but it basically survived intact. Uh, from design through the whole development process, it's pretty much the same card that uh, that we submitted uh, at the end of design. So, and it just perfectly captures that Liliana is all about making zombies, and that's, I love it. Yeah, my Grim awesome. Grim deck is just like dying looking at this card. Like it's yeah. so perfect. Like this and Liliana's mastery and are just like so amazingly set up to make zombies just awesome again. And uh, I know you have a Grim Grin deck too, so I'm just going to pretend that you made this card for me because yeah, I know. I mean, I <laughs> yeah, we we knew we wanted Zombie Tribal here because we could connect that back to Shadows Over Innistrad, and uh, and you know, obviously, mummies needed to be a big flavor here, so hmm. we just went all in on zombies. And by some strange coincidence, Hunter Pruitt just texted me a picture of the Liliana Death's Majesty that he opened at his pre-release. Oh, man. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, very nice. So the art on Liliana Death's Majesty, is that intentionally copying or attributing the image of Tasiga the Golden Fang? Similar seated position, zombie holding a bowl of fruit. I would assume so. But I'm I don't I don't have any I don't have any inside information on that, but it, it certainly looks like it arrogant necromancer is. has massive fall from grace after eating fruits from a zombie held bowl. I wonder yeah. if Liliana's going to get her um, <laughs> her just desserts in the story. Is she going to be hanging off of Bolus's necklace oh, next? Cool. How could anything bad ever happen to Liliana? She's only made packs with four different demons. And it, you know is trying to get eternal life and power, and has been engaged in all sorts of immoral activity for centuries now, including having worked for Bolas. Yes. Yeah, right. I can't imagine that there's any Razaketh or anything around here hanging around who no. might want to say hello. No. <laughs> Why would that happen? <laughs> oh man. This has been a wonderful conversation about a frankly wonderful set. I'm looking forward to this a great deal. Mummies for everybody. This looks yeah, awesome. It's been, it's been super fun. Before we start saying goodbye and figuring out how to contact each other, I want to make sure to point out that the Command Zone released their uh, Lifelinker app, which you can see in the Game Night series. And 
they were gracious enough to contact us and ask for our logo so that we can they could put the logo in their Lifelinker app. And we've decided to release this only to our patrons. So there is an unlock code that patrons have access to. And again, all that it takes is a buck a show to become a patron. And you'll get one more logo for your collection. We're actually looking forward to seeing the tweets from the person who unlocks all of the codes finally. So please, if you haven't already, download the Lifelinker app. It's made for Commander and uh, the other formats as well, which uh, some of them have different life totals. And um, it's a it's a really solid app. So take a look at that. Pledge to us and whoever else you want and get the unlock code for the really cool logo. Yeah, I think I'm only four logos away right now from having a full set. So that'll be pretty cool. Awesome. Yeah, I am I'm in the process of collecting as well. So far I have... Uh, Card Kingdoms and Commander's Brew and our own, and I just have to take the time to pledge to Command Zone so that I can get theirs. Yes. It's a really cool app. So, Ethan, how can people reach you? I know we ask this every time. I've I've got the same text that I paste into our show notes, but sometimes people don't go to our show notes. So the easiest way to contact me is via Twitter. I'm Ethan Fleischer. That's E-T-H-A-N-F-L-E-I-S-C-H-E-R. Uh, and then you can also, if you want to email me, you can email me at ethan.fleischer at wizards.com. I'm always interested in hearing people's thoughts about Commander or Magic in general. So if you have anything you want to talk about, I'm super interested. Feel free to contact me. That's very cool. Thank you for making that available. This has been an awesome show. Thanks for hanging out with us, everybody. Without your support, the episode would not have happened. So if you want to support the podcast, go to Patreon, like we've been saying. That's patreon.com slash commanderandmtg. Or give us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to us, really. Just leave a comment. We love talking to each of you, and we're incredibly grateful to all of our patrons, exactly like John Parkin, Christopher Delano, and then, hey, there's a new patron, Mr. Plorg. Thank you very much. We should, uh, again, mention the GoFundMe because we really want to record a show with Sean directly in the room. That's uh, Sean Watson with an H-W-H-A-T-S-O-N on GoFundMe. You'll find it straight away. Yes. And if you support Sean in his GoFundMe, we will have him at Las Mm -hmm. Vegas. So please. So our website is commanderandmtg.com. Our email is cast at commanderandmtg.com, and you should definitely use that. Special thanks to everyone who has contributed to the podcast. Individually on Twitter, I'm at Ketjack. I'm at Copain26. And uh, I'm at Electrotel. Look at that, at Electrotel. Ethan, if you could take us out in the style of the God Pharaoh, please. Oh. And that's our show. <laughs> oh, crap. <laughs> good record guys good record wow Commander Commander N. N.